This episode of the Zero Cafe podcast is made possible by our partners, Online Influence Institute and VWO. Today I talk with Alex Munoz, a self-taught UX designer from the south of Spain. He fell in love with drawing digital rectangles at a very young age and has since then worked in a wide variety of projects ranging from design agencies to product companies like Booking.com, which he left a couple of months ago. Today we're going to talk about his experience as a UX designer in a very data-driven organization. In case you missed the previous episode, last time I spoke with Alexander Fabian from Microsoft's experimentation platform team, and we spoke about his personal take on kickstarting and keeping the A-B testing momentum going in your organization. You can listen to that episode, or you can read about it uh, on www.zero.cafe, or you can listen to it in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 10. Alex, welcome to the Zero Cafe podcast. And first off, of course, we would love to know a bit more about you. And uh, well, you have a, a design background and you ended up uh, working um, uh, at Booking. Um, how did you get started with with design? What was your first uh, introduction uh, to that area? Yeah, thanks a lot for for having me, Guido. So, so actually, I started quite quite early in my in my life. I'm I'm quite lucky that I I kind of knew what I wanted to do since I was very little. And uh, like many other UX designers, I started by doing some graphic design, actually. Yeah. Um, so I think when I was like 14, 15, uh, even a bit earlier, I started doing some Photoshop and I started having a lot of fun with that. And then I realized that actually I, I was really bad. I sucked at uh, graphic design and drawing. <laughs> and I realized there was this thing uh, called web design. Uh, back then, the, the, the concept of the webmaster was a, was a thing, right? And I remember that I really liked that, so I started kind of like learning how to how to design for for mobile devices, for desktop devices, and, and in general, um, focus more on web design as opposed to graphic design. And is that something you already did uh, in in school in college to to focus on web design specifically? Actually, no. I'm I'm originally self taught, so whatever that means lately, because actually uh, you can learn everything yourself online these days, right? Yeah. Um, so as I said, I, I realized very early in my, in my life that I really like design. So I actually started, um, watching some YouTube videos, uh, learning through some reading tutorials. Yeah. And actually I mostly am self-taught, although I've done, of course, uh, many other courses, but I didn't do design in college. So I never went to college, uh, and I, and I started working quite, quite early and I've always been uh, studying on the side, right? Um, I've always been doing some, yeah. Um, uh, programming and uh, developing and, and design on yeah. on the side. What, what would you say is the most valuable? Of, of course, uh, uh, being on the job, learning on the job. That's that's probably uh, very high on the list. If it's if it's not uh, mm-hmm. number one, but besides that, what, what are the, the resources that, uh, if you think back, what are the resources that that uh, helped you most in in developing uh, yourself? Oof, that's a good question. Actually, I think there's a variety of of resources that can help you a lot. I think having a good network of, of people around you that can motivate you, uh, that actually are like minded, and that you wanna uh, meet up with and learn from. I think that is super valuable, and it has been super valuable in in my career. Yeah. And apart from that, as as you said, I think I'm the kind of person that that learns on the job, that learns by by practicing a lot more than by learning the theory. Uh, so I would say those those are the two things that help me the most. Yeah, I think that's um, uh, a very helpful mindset if you work at a very data driven <laughs> data driven uh, yeah. uh, company. Um, and, and and I think design is often associated with creativity, right? And uh, uh, having a, a creative freedom to do 
to design uh, uh, what you want. So mm-hmm. working for a company that has a very strong focus on, on being evidence-based and data-driven, everything that's, that's out there uh, needs to be validated first uh, before it's uh, uh, actually implemented and, and, and shown to everyone uh, in the world. So it also might seem a bit limiting for you as, as, a, as a designer, uh, or mm-hmm. it's, it, it might seem that way. So how was that experience for you? Yeah, actually, I, I totally felt like that uh, when I when I joined Booking uh, uh, back in 2017. Yeah. I felt like maybe my creativity was going to be uh, compromised by all this data-driven mentality. But I think once I started working uh, in the company, I realized that actually you can use it in your, in your benefits, right? Uh, in your advantage. Um, as long as you really know which methodology to use to validate your ideas, I think it's super helpful. Of course, it can also drag you down. It can also uh, pull you back from from achieving your objectives sometimes, especially if you are a very creative person and you really don't understand or you really don't want to work on the on the more um, data driven um, aspect of it. Um, but I think, uh, as, a, as with any other tool, um, validating your ideas is is uh, can be and is super helpful. So I actually really liked it myself. Yeah. So what are specific things that, uh, that, that helped you become a better designer by being so data-driven? Uh, to me, understanding the, the user in many, many different ways. So for instance, before I joined Booking, I actually only knew, knew a couple of um, validation methods, right? I only knew that, sure, you could get out uh, with your product and just ask questions to people. Um, but actually, there are plenty of other ways of... Uh, of learning from your users and really getting to know what's actually the the issue they're having. Yeah. So, so yeah, I feel like all these uh, research methodologies, uh, both qualitative and quantitative, um, were the the tools that really helped me achieve my best job as a designer. Yeah. And and do you still feel? Uh, well, of course, you left the company, but at the, <laughs> uh, at the end of the of your uh, your uh, um, uh, being being at, at booking. Uh, did you still feel you could be creative? And, and, and then in, in what parts could you be creative? Yeah, indeed, definitely. I think it depends a lot on, um, you can always be creative, right? Even if, you, if you're validating everything through, through A-B mm-hmm. tests, for example, uh, you can always use it in a creative way. I think it depends a lot on the uh, booking. It's a really big company and it has many departments, many products. Yeah. Um, some departments are very data-driven, and actually the keyword there is uh, driven, as opposed to data-informed. And I think that that is actually a double-edged sword, um, because being too data-driven can sometimes, in my opinion, limit your, not only creativity, but your results um, and your progress of, of your products. Yeah, it can also be uh, being data-driven sounds nice, but that, that only works very well if you can exactly measure uh, what is important for your customer and what is important for your uh, for your business right and if you if you exactly. o- if you can only use proxies that can become a problem for example well we all work at CRO <laughs> but if you specifically yeah. focus on on conversion rate if that's the measurement um, but that's just a proxy that's just an indication that that can be one of your KPIs but if, you, if that's the only thing that you're looking at um, and, and then you're very data driven, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's probably yeah. not going to be, um, uh, great for your company. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I feel like there, uh, that is why you really need to, to understand what metrics to use and what methodologies to use. Yeah. Uh, in fact, right. So as opposed to just using a tool, um, 
just because of the inertia of the company to use that tool, uh, which could be A-B testing or it could be uh, a moderated usability testing, which many companies use uh, to validate all their ideas. I feel like using the right methodology for the right question, for the right hypothesis that you want to validate yeah. is actually the most important uh, factor to to keep progressing. Can, can you speak a bit about uh, uh, those, KP, those KPIs and those metrics that you use? What are the things that you were looking at uh, when evaluating if something if, if something you created uh, actually worked or not? Yeah, definitely. So some of the, normally we would always try to use a, a KPI, a, a key performance indicator to to validate whether our, our hypothesis is right or not. But in many uh, many occasions, in many products, many areas of the of the product, mm-hmm. it couldn't be tied to a um, a specific business metric, right? So we had to use what you what you just mentioned. We had to use um, proxies. We had to use behavioral metrics, and I actually had to do that myself a lot of times in the um, in the product. Uh, we had to set up uh, in my team a lot of experiments that actually uh, measured. A behavior aspect of the user, as opposed to a, a business metrics, such as, for instance, I worked in the supply side of Booking.com, yeah. and in the supply side, one of the most important things for us was that the profile of the hotel or the property, in in this case, the home properties, um, that the profile was complete, right? So complete means having photos, having a good name, good description, having all the information that the property uh, has in real life. Um, And so we actually use these behavioral metrics such as uploaded photos or or similar things to this um, to validate whether actually the changes of the product that we were introducing uh, were working or not. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, also I think for um, what you just mentioned on creativity, I mean, you, you can still you you can still be very creative in that. And um, uh, the, the, the analogy that pops up for me is that uh, it's a completely different industry, but I don't know if you ever ever watched the sci-fi show The Expanse. No, I haven't. I haven't. I don't think so. I highly recommend it. I think I think and the, and the analogy is is this that uh, in a lot of um, um, uh, sci-fi shows they take quite some liberty with um, uh, actual um, uh, physical uh, laws and how how uh, things work, like gravity in space, sound in space. And um, uh, in, in the expense, actually, they they limited themselves in the sense that uh, they try to be very specific. They have they have several scientists on board advising them on how things would actually work in space. Uh, for example, when you see a big explosion in the expense uh, and you watch it uh, from a distance, there's no sound because there would be no sound in space because there's no air. Um, for example, if if they if they move between planets uh, in in the expense first half of the trip your thrusters will be uh, on the back but half uh, halfway you are in, in in your trip you would turn around and your thrusters will be at the front because you will be decelerating that's how it would actually work you you, you wouldn't just 100% of the trip uh, thrust to uh, towards mars and then just break or something there, you you cannot break <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there's no air resistance so there there's no braking yeah. uh, so so they limited themselves uh, in the sense that they they want to follow uh, all the natural laws that actually uh, would, the, the things that uh, actually would happen, uh, but it also allows them uh, or made them uh, uh, or required them to be very creative uh, because it's so different than what you would normally see 
in a regular sci-fi show like Star Wars or Star Trek, where somehow those physical rules don't apply. Uh, yeah, don't apply yeah, And they need to be very creative in, um, in, in problem solving because it, it makes things harder to film sometimes. And um, yeah, maybe this is a weird analogy, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. And by the way, you're, you're getting into dangerous um, terrain because I also love analogies. So maybe we, we started something dangerous here. <laughs> we'll have to see at the end of the episode how many analogies... Uh, that <laughs> how many we have to remove. <laughs> how many uh, analogies we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing uh, we want to talk about is uh, specifically... Um, a project that you worked on and uh we all know um uh, booking that doesn't uh, show everything publicly but this is a, a specific pro project that has been uh, published uh, on so we can easily and freely uh, talk about that one this is about onboarding uh two million property owners to to booking so could you introduce us uh, to this um, to this project yeah sure so yeah i worked in a in a team that was in charge of um, onboarding these these new partners we call them they're actually the yeah. the users that are the property owners so what we mean by that is just uh, uh it could be any any person that owns a property and uh and is interested in in renting renting it out for short term yesterday's brainstorm was so good i really liked steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons making them orange will really make them stand out don't you think yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influent, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. Yeah, it's basically the the B two B sites for uh, for booking, uh, exactly. Not just uh, uh, renting uh, your hotel room or getting your hotel room, but of course, yeah, the properties also need to be connected. Exactly, yeah, and that was a, a new thing a few years ago for Booking dot com, right? Because yeah. we were our main product was for hotels, and and we weren't into this into this area of the business yet. So it was actually quite a quite a big challenge for us to adapt the all the suite of products that we have uh, for this new user segment. And what we realized here was that um, as these new users, or this new inflow of users was coming into the platform, they were leaving really soon after they, they joined. And that, was, that is, of course, super damaging for the business, right? Because you pay a lot of money to attract these users. You, it, it's really expensive to, to get these leads for, for the users to join the platform. And all of a sudden, after a few weeks in it, they they just leave, they just churn. Yeah. Um, this is a concept actually I learned at booking.com. I didn't even know what, what churn meant uh, before, right? So, so that was uh, quite interesting because all these users um, weren't understanding uh, really what the platform was for. And that was because the platform itself wasn't really um, adapted to their needs. Um, so what we what we did in my in my team, and this was already I think a couple of years ago, or even a bit more that we started. Of course, they they are keeping this this work right now. Uh, what we did, we started adapting this uh, experience, the first experiences that the users had um, for the on the platforms such as the the desktop side, so we call it the extranet uh, or the mobile app as well. And we when we started working on this project we had to recollect a lot of information. We had to collect a lot of evidence to see wh where the problem was coming coming from. 
and I think it was really, really interesting because we were able to to do through many different methodologies, uh, some of them quite freestyle, actually, such as, uh, for instance, cold calling partners. Yep. So actually, we, uh, the product manager that I worked with at the time, he had the, the idea of just picking up the phone and calling these users that were leaving uh, to do research uh, with them and to, to ask them some questions and why was that happening. Yep. So we did that and it was, uh, of course, uh, there's a lot of anecdotal reports, right? It's a lot of, it's not really hard evidence, not hard data, but it was really helpful to, to make us understand uh, why was that happening, why they were living. And then through a set of experiments, through a set of changes in the product, we were able to um, to improve a lot of the experience. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you even uh, a company as large as Booking, not everything starts with an A/B test. A/B testing is is just the validation of of uh, of your uh, of your research uh, in practice. But you can still start with just cold calling people. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. At the end of the day, A/B testing, I think, is just validation is the key word there, right? Yeah. An A/B test tells you whether something is happening or or is not happening but it doesn't tell you the full story around it. Yeah. It doesn't tell you why that is happening, uh, where the problem is coming from, um, how you could solve the problem. It just You're just asking a question and, and it's a binary answer. They're telling you, the, the tool is telling you yes or no. Uh, so if you actually started with A-B testing, it would be um, not too useful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, one of the things, so, so there's, there are articles uh, written about this that we will also link to, um, uh, to in, the, in the show notes of the, of the podcast. And, and one of the, the biggest failures mentioned in the, in the article is that it's um, uh, one of the findings that is useless to show relevant tasks uh, if users are not actually motivated uh, to complete them. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, sure. So, so that's something I, I also realized with many A-B experimentation that we did at Booking. Um, many times you put a, a change in the product in front of the users and you see that nothing is happening or very little is happening. And many times you think that the, the issue comes from the change that you have introduced. Uh, but actually what happens is that maybe the user that you're targeting for with that change um, is not as, that change is not as relevant for that user, right? So what happened to us was that, as I was uh, mentioning earlier, we were adapting the, the platform from a very business-driven um, user segment like hotels to a more, let's say, casual uh, user that actually just started up um, renting out their, their apartment, for instance. And so many things that were displayed on the interface weren't relevant for these users. So we had to just make sure that everything we put in front of these people was relevant for them and especially that it was relevant at this point in the journey because many times for instance one example could be optimizing your price right so you could have a really expensive price and then you're not getting any reservations you're not getting any guests coming to your property yeah uh, sure optimizing your your price is super important but it's not something that you should do in the very beginning of your journey in the very beginning of your journey you you must do other things to set up your property correctly and those are the things that we realized with the different methodologies of, of research that we used. Okay, interesting. And uh, what kind of uh, experiments that you do to to validate this? Um, we went actually quite bold into with this line of ex- experimentation because we re- we realized that small optimizations weren't working. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually needed a, a bigger change on the on the interface. We we needed a, a bigger 
changing the product. Of course, not complete, not a complete redesign because then you cannot measure yeah. anything. Um, but definitely removing, as I mentioned earlier, all the things that weren't relevant at this point, and then putting only those things that we re- we found out through research that were relevant. Um, so yeah, we removed all the all the things that came from the from the hotel uh, segment, and yeah. we started putting uh, putting things such as adding photos. Um, adding the right facilities, uh, setting a price, not the right price, but just setting a price. We realized that many users didn't even have a price, right? So their their listing couldn't be on on, on the search results of Booking.com because there wasn't a price. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, and I can imagine that um, uh, even for companies like Booking.com, and we, I've also seen those reports for com- from companies like, like Facebook, uh, if you go uh, uh, down the funnel uh, far enough, even then you might not have the sample size to pull off uh test that that has really minor changes right it does it just yeah. doesn't work uh, and again i mean if you go to property owners that's a really i mean booking is huge but uh, uh compared to what you have uh, on the on the um, uh, consumer side that's obviously much much smaller and even and if you then dig down to uh, like setting up properties i mean those won't be millions of users a day right yeah, definitely, definitely, and indeed, one of the changes that 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 ranges a lot from the consumer side mm-hmm. is that these users that we had on the supply side are returning users. So everything that you put in front of them, um, if you change it every day, then the experience is not going to be so great, right? Yeah. Imagine if your uh, app, your Zoom app, was changing absolutely every day with different experiments. Like, well, yeah, we're trying to improve the experience of our users. Sure, but please don't change where the close <laughs> app is and the call app call uh, yeah. button is. Right, so you, you don't really really don't want that. Although it could be better for the conversion at the end of the day. Yeah, things things could be uh, better for a new user, but doesn't mean it's it's better for an existing user because it got used exactly. uh, to a lot of things. Just like we have uh, menus on top of pages, and uh, usually uh, a logo of a company um, that's on the, on the top left of a page. Uh, those are in the end, just conventions, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, if you change that every day, it's not it's not so great. No, exactly. And there are a lot of elements, especially uh, with the property. If you have a lot of properties there and you want to go th- uh, through multiple of them, it's it's annoying if that's uh, if that's going to change uh, too much for you. So that's nice. Yeah. And uh, do you know? Um, so in the end, uh, how much difference uh, did that make? That uh, those changes um, uh, that you just spoke about? Yeah. So so what we realized with these changes was that um, one of the things we to be a bit more more specific and something that is mentioned in the article is that we removed completely uh, what we call an onboarding flow, right? So this user flow that just tells the the new users uh, how yeah. to use the interface. Um, that was a very long one, and we adapted that one to to have only the right tasks at the right time. And we saw that by by changing that, by by making an onboarding flow that is relevant for these new users and for yeah. this new user segment, uh, they were having way less uh, questions. They were they were having way less um, calls to the customer service department, which of course is uh, something that most companies, if not all. Uh, want to reduce, right? Uh, they want the user yeah. to be able to to do everything um, for the sum by themselves. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, previously there was like uh, one tutorial explaining everything, and mm-hmm. um, uh, instead of that, there's basically s- small micro uh, copy tutorials uh, um, uh, during the process. 
Yeah, exactly. In the in the let's say in the in the base uh, part of the experiment, we had the this um, onboarding flow that went through I think seven eight pages of the platform, yeah. and that was too much. That was an overkiller for for what they, these users needed to to learn at this point, right? Yeah. So we just optimized those, and especially something that you that you just touched right now that you just mentioned is the copy. Uh, we also did a lot of copy experiments, which I really learned um, within my experience in that team, that they can be super, super useful. If, if there is something that that people can take out of this uh, of this episode is that really like the, the all the changes that you can do to the communication, the way you communicate to your users yeah. are super valuable, really, really valuable. Changing a couple of words and using the right verb um, could really save you thousands of euros. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create and A-B test different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Start A-B testing with VWO today. And this is something that you that you would also uh, uh, would work on as a UX designer. Do you, do you see that that copy as part of your job, or would it be someone else uh, that that does that? No, it's someone else's uh, job. So we we had uh, copywriters in in most of the teams, yeah. um, and of course, as the UX designer, you would work with them closely. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, actually, with platforms like Figma. It is super useful because you can send the link to them and they can actually start typing the content right in the design phase uh, of the process. So that is super useful. Yeah. Um, but definitely if I had to write down, if I had to write the the copy of the product, it wouldn't be too great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can imagine that you picked up uh, quite a bit in uh, in, in those, uh, those years. So, and, and speaking about that, what is the insight that you, uh, that you've gathered over the, over the years? Uh, uh, during booking or before uh, booking, that you that you think, what would you like to say to to UX designers uh, that are currently not not working or not yet working, or hopefully in the near future start to work at a company that's way more data driven? What, what would be your what would be your advice? So, if I understood correctly, uh, you're asking uh, the insight for. For new people in, in CRO, um, more or less, right? Yeah, well, UX designers uh, or, or designers in general, okay. web designers that are currently not necessarily working in a, in a really data-driven environment. Uh, what would be advice to to them? Yeah, I would say that maybe to to really learn the the methodologies, the tools that you can use to validate your ideas. I, I realize that um, many people tend to just choose a methodology because, well, it's the one that the colleague next to you or your teammate uses and yeah. the one that you know. And many times that actually can be very, very damaging for the for the product. It can be, it can set you back as opposed to to let you pro, uh, make progress um, with your changes. Um, and with this, I mean that using many times using qualitative uh, methods could be way more productive than jumping straight into the hard data into Taking a look at Google Analytics or taking a look at the um, at the experiments, right? Yeah. So I would definitely say learn learn the methodologies available out there. I think um, there are more and more every every year uh, that are coming up. Um, people are becoming super creative with these methodologies. Um, you can see a lot in, for instance, the website uh, Norman Nielsen Group, 
they have a ton of uh, really brilliant resources to to learn from. So I would definitely um, recommend that. Yeah, cool. And um, um, if if you would start uh, on, on a completely new project, what, what kind of tools would you would you like to work with? I mean, you already mentioned uh, Figma. Uh, so that's uh, one of the tools uh, that might be nice as a, as a, as a designer. What kind of uh, other tools would you like to have? Tools as in methodologies or tools, tools as in, as in uh, products? No, literally uh, products. Literally products. Oof, um, good question, actually, because there's uh, quite a lot. Um, I feel like we were very spoiled uh, at Booking because we had many um, in-house uh, products that we created right there, right, in the in the company. So that was super good because we were able to to adapt these products to our needs. Yeah. Um, but I think at the at the end of the day, it's uh, well. For instance, I remember using usertesting.com. Uh, I remember using Validately um, a couple of years ago. I think uh, Validately was super useful for us to do uh, unmoderated tests uh, on mobile. It was super super useful. It worked really great. Um, so those two tools uh, I would definitely recommend. Of course, um, for the hard data, things like uh, Google Analytics although there is a, a ton more uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, actually, I wouldn't say I'm super connected to these tools right now because as I mentioned, I I was lucky that in, in the company we had a lot of products adapted to our needs. Yeah, exactly. That's that's uh, the luxury of, uh, <laughs> of working yeah. at, uh, at Booking.com, I guess. Um, yeah, sir. Um, and, and what are you working on right now? New year? And, 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 new year, uh, new me. <laughs> new, new year. Uh, new Alex. Uh, so, what are, you, what are you working on the next uh, twelve months? Yeah, very, very good question actually. Because I'm also asking that question to my to myself right now. No, but uh, fun fact, I'm uh, right now, of course, um, taking some time off. Uh, I really wanted to to take some time off um, in this uh, moment uh, to switch jobs. Yep. Although the the pandemic is not helping a lot, I I wanted to to be a bit of a Dutch person and go to to Southeast Asia, um, like many <laughs> many of you do, <laughs> like the places like Bali and things like this. Um, yeah. I'm not able to do that, unfortunately, still in Amsterdam. Um, yeah. But actually, I'm working on something that I uh, I'm finding really really fun, uh, which is um, a physical product. I'm working on an ergonomic, designing an ergonomic mouse. Ah. Um, yeah, and that is super different to what I've done in the past. Of course, yeah. I've always done software. I've done digital products. And so I was very interested for, for a long time. I was researching into how does this work, right? How does industrial design work? How How is the process different from digital design? And you would be surprised that you can do a lot of the tools um, and learnings that I got from digital design you can um, apply them to to product design, okay. to physical product design. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this is something a problem that I've been having for a long time uh, with uh, tendonitis on yeah. my wrist, and I and I feel like there is a lot of people having this issue right now. Uh, and so it's a market niche that I would love to work on, and I would love to see other companies creating more ergonomic products that don't look really really bad to the eyes as well so are you are you completely independently working on a hardware project product or or is it like in collaboration with a manufacturer or yeah this is a collaboration with uh, i'm trying to find the right people for the for the right uh, jobs for instance i'm i'm not an industrial designer so i wouldn't try to to design something yeah. by myself otherwise it would be really bad and it wouldn't work um but i'm trying to find the, the right people um and this is as i mentioned it's a side project that i want to do just uh for fun, um, in between yeah. this uh, this time, the jobs. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, yeah, I I have to find actually now a, a good manufacturer to 
uh, to produce this this product. So if you yeah. if you have any any contacts, please let me know. Or if we have any any listeners that are industrial designers or manufacturer hardware manufacturers, uh, then uh, please contact uh, Alex. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we'll, we'll have your uh, your contact uh, details uh, in the in the show notes. So uh, who knows? Awesome. Who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah, Alex, final question uh, for you. Do you have a, a specific uh, book that you may uh, recommend uh, to our listeners? So I have a couple of them that really changed the, the way I, I thought about product design, uh, yeah. especially um, conversion rates, optimization, um, such as the, what was it called? The uh, I had it noted down somewhere here. Hooked. Uh, yeah, hooked. Hooked, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. So Hoot actually helped me a lot because you start thinking about the motivation of the users, right? You start thinking what we talked about in the in the beginning of the of the talk that if the if the user is not motivated to perform an action, then they're not gonna do it. It doesn't matter how you big yeah. the button is, it doesn't matter how nice and enticing the copy is, but they they need to be motivated and they need to have this intrinsic motivation. So that book is something that's super, super useful. It was super useful for me. Of course, you have to yeah. uh, read it carefully and not just apply it to absolutely everything blindly. Um, but that was super helpful for me. And a couple of them, other more, um, Thinking Fast and Slow was also super helpful for me. And everything, actually, I think you would um, be able to to recommend way more than me. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I learn more by practicing uh, as opposed to from theory. Um, but everything that helps you understand the psychology of the users and lets you really think from their from their perspective, as opposed to just guessing and making the wrong assumptions, that is always super helpful. Yeah, we have a, we have a nice list of uh, books at uh, zero.cafe slash uh, slash books, and uh, the ones you mentioned uh, are definitely also on there. And yeah, I think the ni- the nice thing about books indeed is that it's. Uh, shows you it's also about that motivation, right? It's, it's not standalone. You can you can make it as user friendly uh, and, and uh, easy as you want, but if if there's zero motivation or people don't even get to that page, it's basically a waste of time. You need to have both the motivation and uh, and and the user friendliness. And actually, some people exactly. would argue you we would actually might want to introduce some 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 slight friction in there. And uh, sometimes yeah. that uh, yeah. that might also help, um, uh, depending on totally depending on on the use case, and uh, yeah. and and, in, and even on in some parts, uh, sometimes the motivation is so high that usability it can actually be crap. So you <laughs> yeah. you can you yeah. can you can have some liberties. Well, for example, uh, sending sending in your your tax your tax form with uh, yeah. with the government, I mean. It's not well. Motivation here is maybe not the best term. You're not necessarily motivated to do your tax uh, forms, yeah. but you you no, are motivated. you are motivated to do it uh, at this website uh, that we have because it's the only way to do it, yeah, right? So your motivation you to complete it is is very high, um, yeah. uh, which unfortunately means that that is not necessarily <laughs> the most user friendly. Yeah, exactly <laughs> the best. One. But you can learn a lot from the, from those interfaces. Another example uh, is, for instance, uh, bank interfaces. Right up until a few years ago, they were yeah. extremely bad, extremely extremely bad. You couldn't; they weren't usable. Right? You, you yeah. couldn't. They, they had it as such a secondary uh, way of interacting with their products that they really didn't care about it. Yeah. Thank God that the new products have come up, uh, and now they are really. Um, taking care of these experiences. Yeah, I think I think the traditional banks were uh, very much challenged by all those new online banks uh, uh, popping up, like uh, Revolut and uh, N26, uh, Bunk. Uh, so yeah. all the traditional banks, yeah, they had to do do something. They were so yeah, so indeed. much behind. 
and, and luckily that's uh, that's changing a lot uh, the last couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's also a, a great example. Yeah. Mm. Alex, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this uh, on this episode. Uh, we, we learned something uh, about uh, UX design and how we can uh, apply that in a, in a better way to, uh, to UX and maybe uh, communicate better with uh, UX designers as a, as a CRO specialist. And hopefully there are also mm. some uh, UX designers listening that's, uh, that this might be uh, helpful for and when, uh, when working in a, in a more data-driven or data-informed environment. Indeed, thank you so much uh, for having me, Guido. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, Alex. Thank you. This concludes Season 3, Episode 10 of the Zero Cafe Podcast with Alexander Munoz. Make sure to check out the show notes on the Zero Cafe website for links to some additional information on today's topic. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Iqbal Ali, and we'll be talking about some statistics and blog posts he recently wrote about Bayesian expected loss. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing.